It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I started last week talking about this idea of, of languishing. We're in the 12th sermon um, today in uh, the chapter 1 of Ephesians. And uh, I did, that's a lot of sermons for the first chapter. I know guys that went through the entire book of Ephesians in 13 weeks. So you're in for a treat um, in that sense. My hope is, is that you would not... Uh, and I, I'm not concerned about this per se, but I, I, it just occurred to me that I wonder if you might think, man, are, when are we going to move on from this? And I think that that might be the problem that we've moved on from it in the past. And so I just, I, I, I just want to take time to dwell in the passage and in, in these words. And today I want to show you uh, quite a few things, quite a few different scriptures. Um, normally I try to stay in one scripture. Last week I didn't do a good job of that, but that's, that's okay. Uh, because I, I really feel like this idea of having the eyes of our heart enlightened and that our, our eyes would be opened to the reality of, of what Jesus has done for us, who God is to us, that that really is the central issue in, in our lives. I started to say, last week we talked about this idea of languishing. I read an article, if you weren't here, uh, from the New York Times, in fact, a couple of articles uh, that basically say there's, there's, a, there's a name for, for what you're feel, for the blah you're feeling right now, and it's called languishing. It's, it's this, this general sense of hopelessness. It's, it's the way that the author described it is that languishing is somewhere in between flourishing and depression. Um, super hopeful. And then uh, he gave uh, some, uh, an example of, of what, what should happen is that you need to get into the flow. And the flow happens when you do a, uh, a word game um, or when you binge on Netflix, like a late night Netflix binge, that'll get you into the flow. And it's just idiotic. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane. I'm sorry, but this is just absolutely insane. Like this is what people are being told. This is how you should, this, <laughs> this is how you should get into the flow. This is what's going to get you out of, uh, out of this halfway between uh, flourishing and, and depression. Like, is that, is that what needs to happen here? And I, I, I I absolutely do not believe that. And I don't think they know. I know they don't know because that's, as I said, I, I don't use this word very often in a sermon. And I'm sorry if you have children in here that you've told not to use the word idiot or something like that. But that is idiotic. It is. And I, I'm so sorry. That, that's, that's the only time I'll do that. That's probably a lie. But, uh, but that, that's just absolutely nuts. It's nuts. Because they just ha they don't have any answers. They, let, let me just be really clear about who doesn't have answers. The Democrats don't have any answers. And before you think this is some right-wing church, the Republicans don't have any answers. The Independents don't have any answers. The Green Party, are they even a thing? I don't even know. Libertarians. Uh, it's, not, it's not all politics. But they don't have the answers. And in large part, it seems like the church does not have the answers entirely because we've had 
Lots of bad stuff happening. Let me just go through all the, <laughs> some of the bad things here. The Southern Baptist Convention recently just announced that they lost one million members. I think it was over the last three years. One million members. I think it's the lowest, uh, lowest uh, attendance in 10 years, lowest uh, membership in the last 10 years, I think, something like that. Like, that's insane. That's crazy. And, and why is that? It's, it's because it doesn't seem like the church has it, so I'm just not even going to be at church. Something took place yeah, over COVID. I've said this so many times where people just were like, you know what? I don't really need the church to feel the way that I feel right now. I can tell that because I'm at home in my PJs. I might have the sermon on live stream. I might not. Uh, but I'm at home and I'm just kind of doing my thing and everything seems to be just fine. I don't need community. I don't need any of those things. But there is a general hopelessness and a languishing that's happening in our world. It's happening in the churches and it's happening everywhere else. And let me just say this. Uh, Mark Sayers, who I mentioned again last week and, and I'm, I'm a fan of, of his work on so many levels, um, but what he has to say is that there's just been this lack of actual discipleship in the church. Like we have a lot of people that have attended church for so long, have attended, uh, attended church for a long time and yet completely lack like real hope in God, completely lack it. And, and somehow, we're losing our minds. Churches are losing members because a pastor said something liberal or what they think is liberal or a pastor said something that's conservative or they just, they just left or whatever. Like, there is just this lack of discipleship. Like, we thought, we church leaders, thought we were discipling people because people were coming in the doors, they were sitting here, but the truth is, there wasn't discipleship happening. It was just kind of, it was just kind of wasn't taking place. Now, I, I, I want to, argue for the idea that our church is doing better than a lot of other churches, not to put our, our, us above somebody else, but we planted a church in, uh, in, uh, at the end of COVID here a year ago, and, um, and our church has been growing. It's, it's, it's been great, but I still do believe that we have a massive problem with the idea that many of us are actually not disciples. I started off last week talking about uh, Hebrews chapter 6, where Hebrews chapter 6 says, like, you don't need meat, you don't need solid food, you need milk. And it's because you just haven't grown beyond the elementary doctrines of Christ. It doesn't mean that you should go beyond Christ or that leave him, but like, put that to use, put that into practice in your life. That hasn't happened. We've had people that have walked the aisle. They've come down to the altar. They've done all... All of those things. They've received Christ well enough, but there was never any life change after that. And our, our world has been so good. It's been so uh, awesome. I'm mean, like, the economy has been kicking, um, even in, in, in and through COVID. Yeah, there was a, a, a stagger there, I think. I really shouldn't talk about this. My brother's a financial advisor and he's here. I should invite him up here. He probably knows way more than this. But the truth is that we had lots of money and lots of checks coming in the mail. Like, uh, there was lots of great things happening. And so we got to a point where we got comfortable. Where we got real comfortable with our, our own hopes, our own, own dreams. 
And God, in his great mercy, is breaking us of the illusion that somehow we have control. The illusion that our hope can be found in anything but Christ is being shattered. Oh, man, that is good. That is good. So I want to ask you this morning, do you feel optimistic or pessimistic? I just, I just, I, I really want you to take a moment and I want you to ask yourself that question. Do I feel optimistic about where life is at right now? Some of you might be like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. I hate the idea of languishing. I do too. I hate talking about depressing things, but like, uh, but uh, maybe, maybe that's where you're at, but do you feel optimistic or do you feel pessimistic? Is the pes- what's the pessimism or the optimism rooted in? Where, where is your hope rooted in? Is it in, you know, the, is your optimism rooted in the fact that like your business, your job is not in danger if we go through re- recession? Is it rooted in like my family's okay and things are, things are all right. My, my optimism is rooted, it's rooted in your circumstances. Is your pessimism rooted in all the news, all the stuff that's, that's being talked about right now through inflation and gas prices and food prices and, um, and uh, all of the, the, the fighting that's happening and um, political fighting and, and all of this stuff. Like, is, that, is your pessimism involved in that? Is it involved in your circumstances? God is breaking us of the illusion that somehow we have a hope outside of him. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Last week we covered uh, the beginning of verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That you would have the eyes of your, that, that your eyes would be opened to the reality of, of who God is. That your eyes would be open to this and that somehow you would begin to be able to uh, get at this whole idea of languishing in your life. And maybe it needs to be that, that, that your eyes would be open to the reality that like in reality you are languishing but you just have been able to cover it up for so long. You've been able to deaden that through a Netflix binge or some other type of thing, something along those lines. But we, we, we talked about having the eyes of our heart enlightened that we may know, that you may know. The verse says that you would know something, that your eyes would be spiritually open, that first and foremost, it's got to happen by the power of the Spirit. Like the power of the Spirit's got to come into your life and it's got to awaken you. It's got to awaken you to the reality of, and maybe for you, it's, it's that you don't even have faith yet. Like you, you've never actually put your hope in Jesus Christ. And so the eyes of your heart need to be opened initially by the power of the Spirit to awaken you to the gospel. That Jesus came, that he went to a, a cross, and that he died for you, and that he gave up his life, but he was resurrected and he's ascended to heaven and that you can trust in him. Maybe your eyes need to be opened to that reality. But some of us, our eyes need to be opened. In fact, all of us, our eyes need to be opened to, there's three things here, and I would call them three what's. He says, 
he says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I'll stop there. There's three what's there, and I, I really just want to deal with the first one. What is the hope of our calling? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you would know this. That you would know what this hope is. What's it talking about? Well, it's talking about this. It's talking about like there is a calling that began all the way back in the very beginning with Abraham. You have this guy, Abraham, who's just, he's just a dude. And what takes place, you read in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, I'm, I'm sorry, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But what you should know is this, is that Abraham was unable to have kids with his wife. He was unable. He, she was barren. And so what happened was this, is that Abraham hears this promise from God. God just out of the blue like calls Abram slash Abraham, and he says, I, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to make you a great nation. Many kids are going to come from you. And it says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It says that Abraham believed, okay, here's what God has for me. This is what he said, and he just flat out believed it. He just believed him. So part of this idea of hope is this, is that it's like it's believing what God has said in his word. It's just taking him at his word and just saying, okay, I believe him. I, I said this last week that like sometimes we need to start, or not sometimes, all the time, we need to start practices of like self-reflection, reading our Bibles, prayer, walking through scriptures and just saying, man, where am I at with God and what am I doing? Like how am I being, uh, being led to more hope, more faith in what God has said. What does that look like for me? Is the sum total of my Christianity simply coming to church? Men and women, that will not do. That will not do. That is, that is not what it means to be a Christian. Yes, it's at least that on some level, but it is not the only thing. How are you engaged in believing God? Do you believe God? When he says, this is what I have for you. Abraham believed God. He believed the calling that God had for him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. This is faith. This is saying, God, I believe. I trust what you say. And I'm going to walk in that direction. Believing that that is what has taken place. Now, contrast that with something. Uh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. That, those, <laughs> those words that come from the media every single day, those words, both liberal and conservative, both are telling you the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. You must be scared. Why? Because they make money off of you being fearful. Amen. They make money off of this. That is discipling you 
into fear, into a lack of faith, into a lack of hope, into languishing as you soak that in. Some of you need to turn it off, take it off your phone, do whatever it takes, and most of us need to be off social media for the most part. I, I, would, I, I don't wanna be legalistic about this, but I just wanna say, it is discipling you in to fear. Abraham believed God, he didn't believe the media. I'm not sure that they had a media then, but it, Abraham believed God. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Many of us have believed in this hope. We've initially believed in this hope of Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so now, what do I do with that? Again, Hebrews 6.1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Our maturity in Christ is a direct result of the hope that we gain at our conversion and ongoing within the Christian life. Our maturity is a direct result of the hope that we gain at conversion and then going on and applying the gospel to our lives on a continual basis. That is where we get hope. What is hope? What, what, is, what is the word hope? The word hope means this, a joyful and confident expectation. It is a joyful and confident expectation. It is not wishful thinking as we oftentimes think of, like I hope that I get married someday or that I'm able to buy this piece of property or that I get the promotion or that the economy doesn't go into a recession. It is not that. It is a joyful and confident expectation. It says that you would know what the joyful and confident expectation is to which he's called you. He has called you and I to a joyful and confident expectation of what God has for us. That's what he's called you to. He has not called you to live in fear. He has not called you to live in languishing. He has not even called you to live in optimism. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not the power of negative thinking. It is the power of God being active in our lives. Now, here's the thing though. Romans 3, uh, 5, 3 through 5 talks about suffering, producing endurance, then character, and then hope. See, hope is not joyful, confident expectation apart from suffering. It's actually joyful, confident expectation because of suffering. Pastor Brian sent that to me yesterday, and I was like, dude, that's good. It's not because that, like, I, 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 I have this, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm joyfully, confidently expecting that I'm not going to go through suffering. It's that suffering is the way. Suffering is the path. Discomfort is the way and the path. And I just want to, want to ask you, like, if recession comes, if gas prices go to $8, if whatever, if some of us lose our houses, if, if, if <laughs> Roe v. Wade gets reversed, which I pray that it does not, and I'm praising God that it did get reversed right now for the time being, for the moment, but even if that, even if that happens, it's not joyful, confident expectation that bad things aren't going to happen. It is in and through those things that we have endurance, character, and then as a result, hope. We grow in hope 
through our suffering. See, for centuries, Christians have had hope outside of their circumstances. In the midst of the most wretched, wretched circumstances. I'm reading a book right now, How the West Won, that talks about what Christians endured on some level, what, what happened to them in and through that time period. They were brutally treated, and yet God used their faith even in through those things. You read through Hebrews 11, talk about all these people of faith who didn't get, didn't get in this life what they were hoping for necessarily, but their hope was in God. Their hope was in God. Even though they were sawn in two and like terrible things happened to them, they were still faithful. Like Christians for centuries have had hope outside of their circumstances. So whether you feel optimistic or pessimistic, what is that hope or that lack of hope in? What is it in? Ask yourself that. Like where am I hope, what am I hoping in? I'm doing this myself. Why do I feel the way that I do? What is going on in my heart? What's happening to me? And I can tell you that a lot of times my hope or my optimism or my pessimism is in my circumstances and this is offering us something outside of our circumstances. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And we, my friends, have been a deaf world. We have been a very deaf world as we've become more affluent as, as we have gained all kinds of things in and through this economy. And now the page is turning. The view on Christianity is, is greatly changing. People are leaving the faith or leaving the orthodox faith, which I would ca call leaving the faith. They're, they're walking away and the question is, what will, what will keep us? What will keep us here? What will keep us? Why should we have hope? First Peter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, as the, uh, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He is the one who's holy. He is the one who's good. He is the one who, who brings me blessing. That's who is doing this for me. And then it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. That's the part that Christians oftentimes leave off. What, what, what that's saying is this, is that like, we're in a hopeless world. And, and I just want to ask you, in your work, when somebody says, to, I mean, uh, what's Christianity all about? What's, I mean, like, like what, why should I be a Christian? Can you answer that question? Are you like, you know what, evangelism isn't for me. Man, that verse is to everyone who knows Jesus. 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Like that's, it's, it's almost like Peter is like at the very core of somebody who is a Christian is like they're walking around with this hope. And it also kind of implies this, that you go, I can tell that guy's a believer. I don't know, maybe this hasn't happened to you, but I, I, I tell you what, I'm in places sometimes that I just go, I swear that guy's a believer. I'll bet you he's a believer. That gal, I, I'll, I'll bet you she knows Jesus because there is something that's exuding from them. There's this grace, there's this mercy, there's this kindness. And it's not that people who aren't Christians aren't gracious or merciful or, or kind. Sometimes they're more so than, than Christians, but there's this sense of hope in Christians that, that actually have this hope. It hasn't just been like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for me. Yeah, I'm saved from my sin. Yes, I'm forgiven. And I, and I go to church and stuff like that. No, this thing is actually uh, being rooted in my life. I walk around with hope that's, that's being expressed to people in my daily life. And instead of it just being like, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. Like, what that's, what's that all about? No, it's like, bro, like my life is kind of crumbling and it's because our sales have fallen and I see that your sales have fallen too but I see that you are still like loving you're kind you haven't been posturing you haven't been trying to get ahead in some way and 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 I just want to understand like how can you be so happy in the midst of this man let me tell you about the reason for the hope that is in me let me, let me tell you about the reason for the hope that's in my life. Man, I, I know pastors that don't have a reason for the hope that's in them. The hope was in the fact that our, that our churches were full and, and that people gave to the church and, and that things were going okay. And, that, and now it's, it's getting hard. It's getting difficult. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it is a lot of work that you would be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Our world, as I said, is not selling you hope. It is selling you fear. It is 1,000% built to make you fearful. It is 1,000% built to cause you to feel like Everything's out of control. The world is falling apart. China's going to take over. We're all going to die. Like it's, 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 that is what the world is offering. Jesus offers you hope that is outside of your circumstances. Do you have that hope? Ask yourself, do you have that hope? Or is it just been church attendance? Has it just been membership at a church? Is it simply just attending a community group? Or is, this, or is there a hope that's increasing in you? Are you growing? How, are the eyes of your heart being ever increasingly enlightened so that you are coming to know more and more the hope to which he has called you? What are the hopes of our calling? We have hope that God will use our pain. You're dealing with pain? 
We have hope that God will use our pain. Psalm 119, 65 through 72. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. God, you're doing a great job. You've dealt well with me. Teach me good, good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. I believe that your way is best. What follows? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. God, thank you for your affliction. God, thank you that I've experienced loss. I feel, that feels idiotic. Sorry, I said I wouldn't do it again, but I did. That feels, that, what, what is that? Hey, can you tell me why you're so hopeful in the midst of a downturn? Can you tell me why you're so hopeful even though something awful's happening in your life? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep his word. Like, before that happened, like, I didn't have any reason to follow after him. I didn't have any reason to be about him. I didn't have any reason to really even want God because life was manageable. The bank account was full. I had good relationships. But before I was afflicted, I went astray but now I keep your word. You are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. I want to know more, God. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Look at what he says again. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I wonder if there's a place where we could get. God, thanks for reducing my bank account. God, thanks for allowing tragedy to strike. God, thanks for that because... Your laws, the law of your mouth, is better to me than every, the riches that I had, the riches that I thought I had. God is breaking us of the illusion that there was hope outside of him. Praise God. Thanks be to God. As my counselor says every time we get off the phone, thanks be to God. Ah, it's good. We have hope because we know that, Romans 8, 28, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Do you believe God? That all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God, I don't know how you're going to use this circumstance, but I know that all things work together for good, for those who are called according to your purpose. Going beyond that, Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I, why do I have hope? Because he says, I'm more than a conqueror. He says, he loves me. 
Then it goes on. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is no recession. There is no gas price. There is no food price. There is no uh, backlash against evangelical Christianity. There is no nothing. There is no coronavirus. There is no nothing that can separate me from the love of God. What's that mean? It means my hope is not whether they institute a mass mandate again. My hope is not in whether the economy takes a turn for the better and it gets better or that my candidate gets into office or is in office and stays in office or something like that. My hope is not in that. My hope is rooted and established, as Paul says later in Ephesians, in his love for me that provides me with this, that there's nothing that can separate me from that love. Where's our hope? Our hope is that I'm still loved by God. I'm still loved. We have hope because the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. Why is that verse popular or that that chapter, Psalm 23? Why? It's because for ages, Christians have looked to it and said, The Lord is my shepherd. He's going to be the one who's going to take care of me. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He is a good shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. what's, What's the confidence there, the hope there? Is this the joyful, expectant, whatever it was that I said, joyful, expectant, or no, it's joyful and confident expectation. The joyful and confident expectation that I have is that he is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. That's a good thing. My cup overflows I have hope because I believe this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am confident, I am joyful, because I'm rooted in this goodness, this mercy, it's going to follow me, I'm going to be with the Lord forever. He will lead us, he will provide for us. Yes. I have hope because joy comes from being led by the master. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like we could just do a sermon on this right now. and Maybe I should have, right? But what, what, what's that say? God, your way is the best way. Your, your way of sexuality is the best way. Your way of gender is the best way. Your way of mercy toward the undocumented immigrant, toward the foster child, 
is the best way. Your way is best. You see what I did there? He's not a Republican and he's not a Democrat. He's both. Your way is different. Let's get out of this, this crud with the politics and say, no, I'm, I'm about the Jesus way, the, the Jesus path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Do you want the presence of God? Do you long for it? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Like, I just want your presence. Do you have time for the presence of God being with Jesus during a Netflix binge? No, you're numbing your mind. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures that I have been going after are fleeting. They are temporal. Anybody, anybody done that? Anybody reached a goal that you had? I've, the Lord has, has blessed me in so many ways. I remember thinking as a young man, oh my gosh, I would love to be leading an organization. I would love to be leading a church. I, would, I, I just would love it. I was looking forward to it. I, I could see it in my mind. It was, it was fantastic. And, and I was like, man, somebody's got to plant a church that people, that young people want to go to. And so I'm, I, I want to plant that church. And I planted the church. And I don't know what I was expecting. I thought maybe my head would explode or something. It was just going to be this exceedingly great joy that I'm just like, whoo, I'm on top of the world because I accomplished something in my life. I remember standing on stage and just going, yeah, that didn't do it for me. Yeah. You know, God, what I really need is we need a building. We need a building. And so, you know what? We got into a building. And I got to work on the building. I loved to do construction stuff, especially for ministry reasons. So I got to do a ton of the work. And I got to that point and I was like, I feel like this should be more impactful for me. I feel like I should be happier than I am right now. And it just didn't do it for me. And then I bought a house. And that didn't do it for me. And then I bought another house. And I got to remodel that house. And that didn't do it for me. And then I have really nice grass. And I got to say, that kind of does it for me. But no, I, no, no. <laughs> My wife said to me the other day, I wish you looked at me the way that you look at your grass. Right? <laughs> that might tell you why I'm in counseling. All right, uh, but no, there's always, there's always something where you hit, hit your head on the ceiling. You just, like I, I just, I, I thought it would be, it would be a better feeling. At your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. It is, it, is not the, it is not my accomplishments, my financial goals being met, the work that I love to do. Those can be really great additions that can be attached on like, Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to lead. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to buy. Lord God, thank you the, the, for the opportunity to have. But in his right hand, our pleasures forevermore, that being with him is the greatest thing that ever could be. We have hope that joy comes from being led by the master, as I just said, that our minds will be re renewed, 
that, we, that, that our minds will, will be renewed. And, and Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That our minds, we have hope that, God, you're going to do the work in me. We have hope that our hearts will be renewed. Ezekiel 36, 26. I'm not going to read it. We have hope in resurrection. Hosea 13, 14. We have hope at the great judgment where Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna, at the, at the, in the final days, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And then I'm going to say to the sheep, uh, come, come, into, come, into, come into heaven with me, basically, is what he says. And the goats are going to be damned and that's kind of scary but you know what our hope is in the great judgment is this is Romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we have reason to believe that we will be one of the sheep we have hope in judgment and then finally we have a physical hope Revelation 21 our hope is not in this world Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bridegroom, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. My hope is not just that my sins are forgiven. My hope is in all of these things. My hope is that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened in order that I would know what is the hope to which he's called me. If you're somebody who has said yes to Jesus and you've said, I want your forgiveness and grace, I want to encourage you, leave the elementary doctrine. Keep it, know it, believe it, yes, but let's go on and grow in our faith. There is a serious lack of discipleship in our churches. Go ahead and come on up, Rob. There's this, he's kind of waiting over there like, is he going off on another part of the sermon or something? There's such a lack of discipleship in our churches, guys. We're not really followers of Jesus sometimes. We accepted something by faith. And yeah, we may be saved. But where's our hope? We're proving all day long that we don't have hope in Jesus. Paul is praying that by the power of the Spirit, that your eyes would be opened and that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's where growth comes from. And so I don't hope in money anymore. And I don't hope in my spouse. And I don't hope in porn. And I don't 
hope in my job, my work. I don't hope in the economy. I don't hope in the president. I don't hope in how I feel at this moment. I don't hope in anything but in Christ. He is my living hope. Read the promises of God and say, that's a hope. That was what I wanted to show you this morning. Just read through the scripture and just go, oh, there's one. There's one. Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. Do you believe God? Have you gone on believing God? I want to invite the ushers forward as we go to the Lord's table here.